Remember when Gordon Ramsay had a show and they would always like have a shot of him changing into his chef's coat, like with his shirt off? Like they'd always have like a weird shirtless shot of Gordon Ramsay. And I always think that's funny because like in the UK, you can be the ugliest dude ever and still be a sex symbol. Like he just had like that Sharpay face. Like he had like a Sharpay face with like a nice haircut. And- Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts. Eli Aruth, editor in chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. We're here again. We're here again. They haven't taken us off the iTunes store. We're still here. Uh, today we have uh, two amazing gentlemen. Uh, they both have a good pulse on pop culture because Jeff and I have no fucking clue what's going on in Zero. the world anymore. Um, our good friend Steve Bramucci is an author, adventurer. He's been on the podcast several times before, always gives us some good, good content. He's the editor of uprocks.com. And his boy, Vince Mancini, our new friend, comedic writer for uprocks.com as well. He's a host of a baller podcast called the Film Drunk Frogcast Podcast. Almost had it in one. Uh, he watches more food shows than your mom. And re- Damn it, Izzy. That's a really good intro. <laughs> good right. Uh, and writes a weekly Top Chef Power Rankings. That's hilarious. I did read a few. And not only riles up his fans, but the chefs themselves. They're sharing it this week and, and, past, and previous weeks. Welcome to the catch up, fellas. Welcome, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me back. I don't know whether you go before Steve or after. I, lo- him, I just want to keep coming back. I call you guys as if I'm asking a friend out to dinner all the time. I'm <laughs> pitching you ideas left and right. And so that's Steve's voice, Vince. Uh, yeah, and it's, and it's important that these guys are on mainly because Eli and I, we discussed this before the show, and Eli and I don't watch food TV um, mm. pretty much at all, which we were both kind of surprised because we looked at each other and we're both in food media, and our editorial room covers at least somewhat bit major things happening on food TV. But personally, for ourselves, we don't know if it's because we're distancing ourselves from work, or if it's because there isn't something captivating enough to grab our attention right now. But we I, wa- we've been wanting to talk about TV on the podcast for a long time, but we just feel like we didn't have the knowledge base to really talk about it. So yeah. this is like the perfect occasion for us to just talk about it. For sure. I mean, I feel like there's only a couple. I only watch a handful of food shows, like Top Chef and then like any any Jacques Pepin re- rerun. Like that's my favorite. Uh, but like a lot of the Food Network stuff. A lot of the Food Network stuff I'll watch even though I kind of hate secretly. <laughs> like, it's just very much like a cruise ship entertainment where it's like, mm. a, you know, the loud noises to make sure that no one falls asleep kind of thing and everything's uh, everything's very dumbed down. But, you know. Is it still dumbed down? Yes. It's yeah, like it's really bad. Right I mean, it's always like, uh, what was that one? Ginormous Foods was like a, oh, it was like a show. I was like, this is like everything that I hate about <laughs> food TV. Where and it's that- like, hey, idiot, do you not like food? <laughs> Check this out. 
you know, it's like mansers of food. I don't know. How recent was that show? I think it was like what two years? Maybe no, it was probably like a year ago. I remember because I think we interviewed him, and I like I didn't know that we that someone on our site had interviewed him, and I was like making fun of the concept on Twitter, and he was like. <laughs> Yeah, well, if it's so stupid, how come you guys just interviewed me like last week? And I'm like, I don't know who this is a burn on. But... <laughs> someone should feel shitty. Yeah, I don't know who it is, but someone feels bad. It turns out it was me. It was the editor who commissioned the article <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and had the writer fucking tweeting about it. Yeah. I, I got to feel bad on both counts, so that was a win for me. And I didn't know. You know, it just seemed like a dumb show. Look, I would probably would have taken the interview too, but I still think it's it's like everything's got to be. Like the the most mass market thing on Food Network now. Well, that shit is right. old too. If it's a year ago, they launched this show called Ginormous Foods. It's like they're doing shit that was done on the internet eight years prior. Like every yeah. mealtime is like goddamn a decade old now. Yeah, the ICANN has cheeseburger like talk mm. just reach middle America. So they're like, <laughs> all right, here we got it. This is going to be the well, one. You know, speaking of that, like that is not to pivot that into something serious, although it is, is like food TV is not like maybe. Um, like comedy, right? I, I think, and Vince is in the comedy world, so he could tell me I'm wrong, but I think comedy, for the most part, it, TV is now as innovative almost as you will see like in an avant-garde troupe or something. Whereas food TV legs pretty well behind the food scene. So if I talk to you guys about food TV, you don't watch it, right? And I talk to you about it, you would be like, oh, well, we did that on Food Beast seven years ago, right? <laughs> we, we were talking about, we were having that conversation seven, like, oh, yeah, like someone last week said that truffle oil was whack. Like mm-hmm. we knew it was, we knew that was whack seven years ago because we're having these conversations constantly on the internet. Yeah, and I think that to add on top of that, Food Beast has sat in this really weird place where when we started the blog, we weren't established enough to get our own TV show. And we went through pilots and we went through production companies and we got pitched enough because we had this viral audience, but it it wasn't good enough to be on old TV. Mm. And then we also have completely missed the boat even now because now we're not sure if we should be on TV. And so there's this whole period of, I guess, eight years where we flirted with TV and even Eli's hosted shows that are over the top on Tastemade or things like that, where we're kind of on TV, but it's it's just a really weird medium for us because we don't we don't really understand it at all outside of that there's a lot of content still on it and and the, and it still drives audiences that people care about it in certain situations like Top Chef, which I'm curious about. Why do you watch Top Chef? I feel like Top <laughs> Chef's a... Well, I mean, part of the reason is that I enjoy recapping it at this point. <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit. But, like, I think it is, like, a good balance between... You know, it still feels like reality TV, but not... It's still fun in the way that reality TV can still be kind of fun. And it's not dumbed down to the point where... You know, it feels like they're judging is... Uh, like, they're, they're still judging them in terms of the food, it seems like. Your recap is more fun than the show, though. I mean, I hear that a lot, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's why you hope the show keeps going. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't... Yeah, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, it's like... Uh, it's not... It's not like I sit down and watch it like I'm watching The Americans, but, you know, you what can was have the, fun with it. What was the first TV first food TV show you saw, though? It can't have been Top Chef. No. Um, I don't know if it was Jacques Pepin. I remember watching Yen Can Cook on, uh, I think, a lot of PBS shows. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably Yen Can Cook. I remember that one for some reason. And then 
I think I came to Jacques Pepin a little later, but I think I like that one because it's just like it's it's uh it's not someone shouting at you. It's almost <laughs> it's almost like putting you in a trance. Like I can just watch him cook, and I'm just like fascinated watching him. He works with like one paring knife with his like arthritic hands, and he does something that's and it's like oh now the now the tomato's like a rose now. And I'm like, How the <laughs> fuck did he do that? Uh, yeah. And when did you start writing the column and the Top Chef recaps? Because that's a good question. Because uh, we had a conversation. Elon and I had a conversation recently about Top Chef as well, where Top Chef is this interesting phenomena where if you're on the show, you're you instantly have a publicist and a restaurant after the show, and we never watched the show really. I mean, we would passively potentially watch it if you're in a hotel room, but. The amount of pitches that we get just from publicists or this restaurant opening or this person doing their own party for their episode or whatever happens so often that that's the main reason we talk about Top Chef is the that's number of straight lead. pitches that we get that uses Top Chef in similar fashion the way products or services mentioned they're on shark tank it's like mm-hmm. the same thing for people with chefs is like oh we got this badge of i was on top chef and even crazier if you were a semi-finalist and even crazier if you were a finalist even crazier if you won mm-hmm. but there's kind of there's yeah there's all this pit- pitching going on and that's what causes us to just talk, give me a chef with a hundred thousand followers on instagram that's all i give a shit that's i'll open your email <laughs> at that point that's like every fucking pa- i don't roll out of you? bed for more than fifty thousand yeah. followers none of that shit <laughs> None of that shit. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't. I can't take the time to forward this email <laughs> to someone else who's going to write about it unless you can do 50K. If you can't push 50K followers. I think, you know, one of the interesting things with Vince and doing these, I think the first season, he was so funny. The first season he did them, which was maybe three, four years ago, he would do yeah, a couple. About that long. And he'd like take a break for a week and be like, oh, I was really busy this week. <laughs> he wouldn't do any. And we were kind of questioning like internally, um, you know, why would this be an Uproxx article? Why does this fit on Uproxx in the first place? And then something strange happened, which is really interesting, which has happened with him, which is Top Chef is a show. And, and the reason why maybe it fits for Uproxx is it is a show where the conversation happens online. First of all, somehow, it, you know, these are all these young chefs, 25, 26 years old. They're all digital natives. They follow the online stories about them to just a crazy degree. <laughs> and then Vince has differentiated himself so clearly by being funny and, and kind of like unrepentantly funny, right? Like he's not going to um, pull any punches. He's not going to soften any blows. He, he toys with like with all sorts of, of little subplots and narratives. And because of that, like they just idolize him. They just love his work. And so you'll see all of a sudden all these chefs were posting his recaps on their Instagrams and on their Twitters and on their Facebooks. And they were laughing about them and they were trading them between each other. And then, you know, you guys know Amar Santana and mm-hmm. I know Amar Santana and, and I connected Vince with Amar Santana. And I talked with Amar and he was like, yeah, we, we text those talk chef recaps to each other every week. The show's over. They just they just text it to you know they know who won well, it's we like don't they've know they've never who won. been talked about that much before sure. it's not like a thing that you probably deal with on a daily basis if you're like in a kitchen well because like e news and shit isn't gonna keep talking about it right. sixteen seasons in right. at that point yeah. so like thank God for Vince over at Uprock yeah. who's <laughs> fucking like, doing the deep dive in either, episode thirteen of Top Chef <laughs> season fucking one sixty two either me or Andy Cohen no one else cares <laughs> and maybe you tapped into what's a 
crazy gossip kitchen culture because as much as Eater will cover departures of major chefs, there's so much turnover in kitchens and there's so much drama in kitchens that happens behind the scenes that if you're involved or know of one, you there's 12 stories immediately to be had about the text trains going back and forth of this person departing and this person coming and why they're leaving and whatever. So I would imagine that also makes sense that's happening with chefs being covered on TV, watching their own coverage and, and things of that nature. Yeah, and it's like it feels like it's a better conversation piece because then it seems like more people know about I'm sure you've had the experience where you like talk to another food writer and like they it's all just like super esoteric, you know, chef gossip and at a certain point you're like i don't know who you're talking about so <laughs> i thus can't care like that happens a lot on food trips where it's like oh have you been to this place been to that place i'm like well first of all i don't have like a thousand dollar food budget per day <laughs> dude we were just talking jeff and i were just talking about that too of just like what makes us tick in food and like what why what does it mean and like Food really. I had a conversation with someone. I'm not going to say where or who, uh, but it was a recent uh, event, and we. This I was like, she was like kind of a lingerer, and she was <laughs> like, she's like helping us our group try to get this film shoot done, and and I'm like, oh, fuck, get off my back. I mean, so the common thing. I'm like, well, what's your favorite food? Like, what are you into? Mm-hmm. She goes, um, oh, like I'm kind of a picky eater, and she goes, I'm like, all right, red flag already. Yeah, red flag already. Like, yeah. I can't fuck with you already. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to hook up or do anything. I just like already don't want to talk to you any further. And I was like, hold up, I can do a magic trick. Let me guess your favorite food. She's like, okay, chicken nuggets. And she goes, oh my god, I love chicken nuggets. <laughs> Fucking love. Like, and that was, I was like, I already can't vibe with you because mm-hmm. food. I'm not a very cultural person, but like, I, I like what food has opened up for me. Right? Like, I'm not a chef, but. Food has done such a cool job of me, like learning about the history of other cultures. I fucking hated yeah. history books growing up. Like I couldn't focus in school. I didn't understand the purpose of it. But it wasn't until like I had Chinese food here in America. That I was like, okay, cool. What kind of Chinese food is this? Cool. There's Szechuan. Then there's this. Then there's that. Like I now know there's more than one region in China. Now mm-hmm. I know like, all right, sushi's cool. What does fucking sushi do for me? Like that's Japanese. What makes Japanese not Chinese? Like little dumb things like that open it up to me. And when I hear people are like, I like chicken nuggets. Like it's funny at first when I realize you're serious. I'm like, fuck, (laughs) dude, I can't talk to you anymore. I mean, and then, and that, and that affects like the type of food that you want to write about and that you want to eat. Cause I mean, for me, like I like going to like the super high end restaurants like every now and then, Mm. but like once you get to a certain level of like white tablecloth fanciness, then it's not really like about anyone's culture anymore. Like I like the idea of going to a place and be like, all right, well show me like what you and your family eat. Like Mm. that's great. But like once you get to a certain level, it's like they're showing me what they think like someone on Instagram like wants to take a picture of. And at that point I'm like, "Eh, I don't really care that much anymore. Like sometimes, you know, you might blow my mind on something like that, but like it's much more fun to have like a really good, you know, just random ethnic food meal as opposed to, you know, going to a fancy place and just to write about too. Do you watch any like travel food shows? Because Top Chef keeps you in the kitchen, and then but I think there's the the few the little bit of food TV I watch is travel based stuff. That's what gets me off. Um, I mean, of course, I watched you know all the Bourdain shows, and mm -hmm. then all the ones that sort of grew out of that. I sort of watch, you know, not necessarily religiously, but for sure, like I'll throw them on here and there. I remember that what was it the Montreal episode where Bourdain went to Montreal and they were just eating like. 
it was winter in Montreal and they were just eating like nonstop heavy food. I think he had like a giant truffle that he smuggled in his bag that they were just like shaving <laughs> on everything. Like that's one of my favorite episodes of any food TV, I think. And before we go into Bourdain, because I think we're going to go into Bourdain like for, a, for at least a while, I'm curious about what you guys think of Chef's Table and mm. why I want to talk about it now is because to me there's uh, an approachability. There's For me, I don't watch the show because I don't necessarily know if I'm going to be experiencing these places anytime soon. And so even though I'm vaguely aware of Naka in Los Angeles and that episode, I don't spend that type of money and also plan my dining experiences like three months in advance enough to where I care a lot. And that's not to say if I actually sat down and watched the episode, I probably would be amazed and inspired to go there. But because I know I don't do that already, I don't watch Chef's Table. And I've tried to guilt myself into watching it because I'm in food media. I should know what's going on. The episodes that I have watched, the cinematography is fucking amazing. So it seems like there's real reasons to watch. But then I also get sad because am I actually... I don't like watching things that I can't experience. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, you know, and I'm probably in the minority, but I don't watch travel shows to get inspired. I watch travel shows when I think I'm going to go to that place. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to Thailand, I will look for Bourdain's episode where he goes to Bangkok. So I have that as a reference, but I don't just like love watching travel shows if I don't think I'm going to go there ever. Cause I don't know. And that's the efficiency side of my brain. That's not artistic and, there's you know, a shame culture all. around not liking uh, Chef's Table. Like sure. I don't get it either. It's just I, probably I, just not for me. I think I'm the outlier in this room in the sense that like when Vince said his thing just a minute ago about like, oh, I don't want to see insanely chefed up food. I would rather see like, what do you make? That's probably like what I'd rather eat. Mm. But for me, like seeing insane, like Chef's Table, what's interesting about it to me is like, Top Chef, which I literally only started watching because at some point being Vince's editor, I was like, I'm doing a bad job at my job. Sometimes there would be references he'd make and I'd be like, is this spelled right or wrong? Because like, are you making a joke about the way they pronounced it or what? You know, and so uh, I started watching Top Chef. Top Chef is dealing with chefs that we all know who are like their end game. Let's say they walk away, they won, they got to the semifinals. Their end game is probably to do a fast casual place that opens up in 14 cities, right? That's or to do more food TV and to do that sort of fast casual. There aren't many top chef chefs who want to be, some who want to be in the, in the beard conversation, but not a ton who want to be in the world's 50 best restaurant conversation or the, the Michelin star conversation, right? So when you watch Chef's Table, one of the things is you realize they have that Netflix money. Mm. Everyone in there is in, like almost every contestant had a Michelin star. One of them was, in, was two of them were already on the best 50 best restaurant list. Like they don't have anywhere to go cooking and technique wise. They're not, they're not a 26 year old on Top Chef who's like, I learned some cool things. I'm going to learn more cool things. So that that's interesting, right? So when I saw it, I was all in. I was like, this is some chefed up crazy shit that I couldn't make, which is interesting for me. I cook a lot. I'm in a monthly cooking competition with Vince. Um, <laughs> She's losing really bad. Which I'm losing <laughs> terribly. But in my mind, I've won every single one. How do you judge? 
See, someone else so judge? that's interesting. Like we we put the recipes online and it's just pictures, so it's like not like people can actually taste the food. And so like Steve's always trying to do like the most creative thing in the world. Where I'll just make like you know a like, and if people don't have a frame of reference for that food, I don't know how they're gonna judge them. It's like oh that's a square of like sweet potato puree and pumpkin. Like no one's had like whatever cube of random stuff that you have in there. Whereas, like, I'm, like, nice I'm like, I made an apple pie and people are like, okay, I like apple pie. Apple pie's dope as yeah, shit. I like I'm, that. I'm picking this guy. Bitch is down to earth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Steve's exactly. a douche. Steve's a douche. <laughs> Steve, like we have these identities on this. So the, the third competitor in it is Zach Johnston, our, a food writer for us who I'm going to be talking about a little later. And it was really neck and neck at first. Zach has recently, like, um, he's done a really good job of helping publicize and share stories from the Native American food way and the the effort to bring back Native American food into the United States food culture conversation. And as such, uh, and I know that he's done a great job because Food and Wine hired him off of his Uproxx work. <laughs> Oh wow! Stole him, poaching, and bro. paid him, <laughs> and paid him well. So I know, I know that people are noticing that conversation. Um, and and so in that, as a Native American guy, he has started to make more Native American traditional foods. And in the past couple conversations, he's kind of been smoking me and Vince a little bit because there's he's he's hitting a food way that we don't even know. So when he's like, "On oh, this has birch branches in it." We're like, shit, how do we tell this guy that, that it's not supposed to have birch cream? <laughs> yeah. He didn't make mac and cheese. Like, we're fucked. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so, so I'm in this food competition with Vince. The way that we do it is we tease each other at the end of reading each other's dishes. Then the other two competitors make fun of the, the one who just presented their dish. It's kind of like if you post your shoes on Instagram and your friends all roast, roast your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, but with food. Basically. And then the commenters roast us. And yeah. then from there, we... They kind of vote while they roast us, and from there we gain some sort of uh, yeah. We haven't added community. We have it. not added like a punishment for like the person who's in last after like a year or anything. Yeah, I feel like that's the next step is the lose a bet, uh, some sort of challenge for yeah. Lose someone needs to take a picture naked in the kitchen, right? Like <laughs> with their dish, just shaming them, just dish <laughs> like in the corner of well, the kitchen. Padma from Top Chef is judging us this week. Low key, okay. So she's weird flex. Steve. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know Padma. I don't I think it's you that know, weird. Yeah, that's a dope flex. So, so, so I was all. That's all a long-winded way of saying that I was all in on on final table, right? I was loving it. I was geared up. So I, I don't. I, I get chef's table and mind of a chef confused in my mind because they're like both. And, and you just said a different table. show too. I thought you were There's talking fi- about final table. You no, no. said chef's we're table. We're talking about chef's table. table. Yeah. Final table is the brand new one on Netflix, right. which I've heard great things about. I haven't had the opportunity to watch it. There's a lot of fucking good content. Which out one's there. that about? Let me get into final yeah. table. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Wait, so this listen, whole time you I were talking about final listen, table. You loyal listeners, go back six minutes. <laughs> Forget everything we said. I was talking about final table. <laughs> Chef's table is a very cinematic show that's on Netflix. And everything you said was correct. <laughs> I can't get that into it. It's great, though. Wait, which one's which? Which whatever, one's Mind whatever. of a Chef? Which one's Chef's Table? Get mind oh of a Chef? God. I've been in the conversation. You're muddling this shit. No, that's the two I got confused. You got two other ones confused. Stay focused on mine. I, well, all right. I'll, You're I, getting edited live now. Sure, sure. So, is Steve talking in the mic enough? Or is he going to cut out the last six minutes anyway? So we're good. Just go back. So... The Final Table is a new Netflix show that's very chefed up and very artful. 
and I was all in on that one because of my own proclivities. Because I will. That sounds like it should be a show about like uh, some baller chef who goes to a prison where a guy is about to get executed, and they're like, "What's your last meal?" And oh, then he tells shit. the chef, and the chef's like, "All right." And then it's like, "This is Netflix. The fine. It could be true crime <laughs> slash food show." Right That's there. a way better show. You should, That's you, a huge Vince, win. you should push that show. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> Maybe we do an Uproxx Foobies collaboration yes. show shot here at the OC Sheriff's Department. <laughs> Dark room. No, no one's on death no, row. We're gonna have to at do it the to, OC Sheriff's yeah. Department. We're gonna have to do it in Texas because they're the only state that still executes <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. once a month. Like we're gonna shoot. Okay, that's good. That's good. I forgot. And then what'll happen is we will see this same dissonance, like you guys liking more basic food and me being like, no, make that shit fancy. <laughs> and what the chef will make it too fancy, and the guy will be like. I did not want your deconstructed <laughs> mac and cheese. This is my last meal. He'll get one more murder in. <laughs> That's it. That's how the show ends every episode. Then our chef prepared like a denatured, gelatin-infused pumpkin pie that was all in separate pieces, which is literally what I did for our recent food competition. And the person killed him. <laughs> The murderer was like, no, I just wanted it basic. <laughs> this show is so fire. Yeah, no, it's good. This is a good show premise. Wait, because I'm still confused, though. Final Table is not Chef's, no, like, the final no. season Different of show Chef's entirely. Table. No. <laughs> final Table is a Because that's what concept. it sounds like to me. The Final Table is the final season of, she- well, of and Chef's the, Table. And the previews and the trailers for it look like just as well shot and DP'd as Chef's Table. But it's a competition show, right? It's that's a contest. Finals. Yeah, and it's way upscale. So, sorry, that's the one I was talking about for literally the past 10 minutes. <laughs> really kind of ruined your pod here. Um, but but it's way upscale. But, but, and it was going really well, and I was hyped on it. And Vince will tell you that because two weeks ago, I do something that I do as an editor quite often, which is like send someone a text at 11.30 at night with my whims. <laughs> and I sent Vince this text like, hey, man, why don't we have more stuff on final table? This shit's dope. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, clearly, I took I, it all to heart. Yeah, he's like, I'm out. I'm out right now. Like, what do you want me to get? We need, we need something on it yeah. Monday morning. I like sending texts to him and and Zach Johnston, this other writer of ours. So it's all going well. And then you know, Zach has done such a good job of of helping me understand. The, the bigger picture with American food or what we call American food and the history behind it and the colonization behind it and the idea that that so often it's been viewed through the prism of people who look like me, right? White men. And so even if we're talking about Chinese food in the history of the United States, we're often seeing it through the view of a white male and, and what they think of it without wondering like, well, what are the people who actually traditionally make and serve this food think of it, right? So Zach's done a good job with that. We get to the fourth episode of this, the final table. I'm watching it. I'm geared up. First of all, in all the other episodes, like if it's Spain, they get like Spain's most famous movie star to judge, Spain's most famous food writer, and the best chef in all of Spain. It's amazing. And those are the three judges. And for this, for the United States, they had Dax Shepard, who's super funny. I love Dax Shepard. That's a good That was a good one. I'm a big Dax Shepard fan. Dax, call me, man. Um, (laughs) But then they had Colin Hanks. 
<laughs> and that was that was a little bit. I knew it was a little bit of a fall off because they were like, and he's the son of American screen <laughs> oh, oh, legend. It was a shot. Yeah. First of all, they, you should get that's how, Yeah, sorry, good. That's how they actually. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. But so then what happened is. They try to get Chet Hayes, and they're like, no, you can have Colin, though. He'll rap his answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so then what happened is they did, for the American version, They in each episode, they choose one food. And they're like, that's the food we're going to explore the whole episode. Um, and they did, for America, they did Thanksgiving food. Of course. So Zach has done all this work. It's already in my head. He's done all this work to talk about how Native American, like what really happened in Thanksgiving. He did this incredible piece last year, like wrestling with Thanksgiving itself, creating a traditional Native American tasting menu. It's all in my head. So then there's this like delicate, uh, delicate Spanish chef who just like, he looks like Leonardo DiCaprio, like Titanic era. He's a beautiful man. He's always talking about creativity as if he's like pulling the wings off butterflies and just like everything's so delicate and lovely with him. <laughs> I mean, that would be murdering butterflies. So I don't think that was my best analogy ever. But, but he's like so, and he goes, we just really wanted to respect the indigenous culture of the United States with our Thanksgiving dish. And I was like, oh, this shit's on. It's about to be real. This is about to be dope. And then Colin Hanks comes in. He's like, he, they had made purple potatoes. And he goes, nope, purple potatoes. That's not American. <laughs> and these guys had given like this beautiful soliloquy about how like we wanted to go with like a more ancestral potato. Purple potatoes have a longer history here. Like they knew the stuff. And then he's like, Mm-mm, that doesn't say Thanksgiving to me. Where's the pie? And it was so bad, Zach actually made a joke in his article. He he went off about this and called him Colonizer Hanks, which is <laughs> a pretty solid burn. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, I think like in all of food TV, we're seeing it. It's tracking the, the cultural moment that we're in pretty closely. And so even Vince, week, week to week in his recaps, is wrestling with this idea of like, where is our food moment headed? Where are these people who have huge voices in it keeping up? When are they falling behind? Because Final Table was on point for a while, and then this was a big miss. And, and you know, like, how do we, how, how are they going to continue to push American food culture forward? Right? It's my speech on a show that you guys actually weren't talking about. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for coming to my TED Talk. The slides are available online. So I'm going to like the first three episodes and then... Fall then off a cliff on the fourth. Gets whack. I like it when they melt the cheese. <laughs> how how do you guys at Uprocks decide what to cover in the food landscape? Because it's a very scientific approach that we take. We got a lot of focus groups. There, so, you know. Yeah. Well, because I'm curious because uh, the the breadth of coverage that you guys do write about is much more than food. So when we're talking about like our editorial meetings, it's obviously like very direct about national coverage of of food topics versus how do you got like how did you guys start your cooking competition and decide for recaps on top chef and not other things was it um, a text at night i think it was it yeah. literally like, started as a nighttime right. text <laughs> but then like you look at our site and our site like i would imagine your site is a site for young people and helping people level up is kind of cool right mm -hmm. and so our goal is to help people level up and all the dishes that we're making are things that people even zach's dishes he's the most refined chef 
among the three of us, you could mostly make these in your house, right? You might need to buy a sous vide in his case because he loves that shit. <laughs> but that's a level up, though. That's a level that's awesome, up, yeah. right? It's a reasonable I mean, it's like level a kind up. Of a, You're not like, yeah, and it's like a thing that you could do with your friends because, you know, most of the stuff that we do like we'll come up with like a we'll come up with a, a certain type of challenge like oh we're gonna do a holiday dessert and in my mind i'm like i've never made one before and so then i have to like think about what i want to eat and then i have to like you know research that research different ways to make that and then experiment on my own it's like you end up just doing you end up learn. you end up teaching yourself a bunch of new things which is kind of how cooking works but yeah that's how it's worked for us like every you know they'll challenge me to a, to do a certain type of dish that i wouldn't normally cook for myself and then i have to figure out how to do it yeah i think like exactly that <laughs> that's how we decide I and mean, then that I, gives I, you ideas for more things you know like you make up like i make a pie for the first time and i'm like oh i could do like a chicken pot pie i could do right. this or that you know and it's like you you get ideas build on ideas this you even like to cook oh i love to cook yeah, yeah like what's your background like you're com- you're a comedian and a writer, um, but like, are you like write? Is this just content for you, or do you like love food? Oh, I love like, food. No, love I mean this is like is in terms of content, I would say food is by far the closest to you know my heart of like things that I do on a daily basis. Like I and, like I would much rather spend all day cooking than writing. <laughs> the hard part is having to write about it. Um, but yeah, no, I like I've never been. I worked in a kitchen in college. I'm not, I'm not like a professional chef or anything. I'm just cool. a person who likes to cook. I cooked with my family and stuff like Steve probably did too. Yeah. That wasn't totally a judgment ask. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm the furthest from someone who knew anything about food. So it's always just fun to hear like, because you get so enveloped in the content and then seeing what that kind of like speaks to what you're going to end up liking to watch on TV. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of want to talk. I know we're going to talk about Bourdain eventually, but I just think we're like in such a crazy shift in food TV that like I want to know what more to watch because I seeing what happened with Bourdain and seeing he has a a bunch of different shows I was just talking about the no the layover show Mm -hmm. which is like arguably one of his like worst shows like it's not the tightest show it's the one where he it, it, it's on Travel Channel, so it like follows all the Travel Channel tropes, like 22 minutes, mm-hmm. you, like a dumb intro. Where there's a point where he makes fun of his own intro in VO on TV. I don't know, if, I don't remember what episode, like Boston or Philly, they all start blending together. But he was like, All right, here's the dumb intro. Like yeah. he says that in VO, and he's basically making fun of the Travel Channel, the same network he's fucking hated since like day one. And then you see like what happens in, in, kind of no like you've seen no reservations how do you guys feel about like that body of work what have you liked what have you not liked i think the thing that makes bourdain special what you're just saying is like he didn't want to be an obnoxious shill and so he was doing like you know the same kind of travel show that other people were doing but he wasn't going to be he wasn't going to do like the game show host thing and now i think we have a lot of personalities and i think you know any network or any sort of entertainment outlet is going to sort of push you to be like hey everybody i'm here blah 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 blah. what's up guys uh, we're gonna do a video about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's like and if, if you don't have like that deep down disdain for that kind of stuff like bourdain does it's eventually gonna it's eventually gonna turn shitty like that and i think that is i think that's just basically the root of what made him interesting to watch because once you go once you go i don't want to do that game show host intro you know that shilly type 
crap, then you're like, all right, well, how how can I make it good still? Mm. And so, like, if you're if you're thinking that way, I think it automatically it it make it forces you to try and do something better. And I don't doesn't I don't see a ton of people doing that now besides him. I that shilly intro that shilly intro is definitely for me the one of the biggest turnoffs to keep watching. Yeah, because you're having someone behind camera go introduce yourself, recap the episode, and walk this way, right? Mm-hmm. And we've and we've had to do this for our own branded content. I've had to do this, and it just makes you feel so manufactured. The fact that yes, I know I should. We're doing this intro because we want people to know what this show is about so they dive into further in the episode. But then nothing about it is really authentic. And especially when you're doing the branded content version of it when it's really inauthentic. And I think that's what, with Bourdain intros that I remember, again, I don't watch a lot of food TV, but they did two things really, really well from what I remember. The first thing was the voiceover. When you can take... Tony, after the show, process everything that happened, and then he can just start storytelling from the beginning. I think that's amazing because you're not forcing someone on location in the spot with without it, everything hasn't been filmed yet, mm-hmm. and being like, "Hey, you have to do this intro so we can get it on location." Instead, you can do that all after the fact, and processing so much of that, I think, was really important. Um, yeah, it makes him seem like he's having an experience and not being like the Vanna White of whatever location that he's at. Totally. Know? And then the guests on that show, whoever the producing team on that production company, they always seem to source the most interesting people to me that were able to talk politically, that were able to talk about their own neighborhood, that could still talk about the food. And those are the things that, again, I only watched no reservations. I only watched his shows in a hotel room in passing because I never searched for them. But that to me was made it kind of separate to everything else I ever saw on TV. Yeah, and I think the fact that he came off kind of genuine, like it sort of attracted uh, the right people and it kind of kept it going in a way because like he sort of went to places and seemed like he had real experiences there and then he would make friends and sort of go back to those places and it would like sort of deepen whatever uh you know show they were trying to make about that place i mean bourdain he died at 58 right 58 59 and yet like that show when we look at like shows that resonate with young people Mm -hmm. right like that show did it and so you wonder why because that's against this whole mtv idea of like if you want to speak to 18 year olds be 18 (laughs) 18 year olds don't fucking have shit to say (laughs) like we all know that i was 18 i fucking didn't have shit to say and i certainly nothing that should have been publicized (laughs) nothing i said at 18 should fucking have found any audience so glad there was no social media yeah like my dorm room was as far as that should extend um and yet you know there's this authenticity in him that i think is unarguable and i think that he did that and he found authentic people to kind of co-sign him and he did that so well and i think that that's what that's why so many of the food conversations that we see right now are happening online among young people because food is a fucking fun thing to talk about right we're going to be talking about that can I announce that you yeah. guys are coming on Vince's? <laughs> hell yeah! This yeah, is a double yeah. feature. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Vince doesn't know, but we're <laughs> you guys are coming on Vince's podcast, and we're going to be talking about how how young people in internet culture have kind of made food conversation. And I think that that it it's an interesting thing for people to talk about. People feel like they can do it with a lot of authority, 
And then when there's that authenticity element, people go, okay, I could wrap my head around this. I want to be part of this conversation. Because when we talk about Bourdain dying, we saw that like the number of people who were hurt by that death weren't just other 58-year-olds, right? right. There, was, there was this whole like youth culture mo- movement who saw him as this punk rock vagabond. I mean, that's pretty dope branding anyway. Yeah, but. he had great branding. I mean, yeah, like you were talking about. I mean, we all have to do the sort of shilly intro to a certain degree, you know? Like, you d- we're all making sort of sacrifices in the hopes of, like, explaining whatever the hell it is we do, like, in a short amount of time. But it's definitely gotten so homogenized where I just know... I know people that say, like, if a YouTube video starts with, hey, what's up, guys, they click. It's like, all right, no. Like, I'm not doing, we're not doing that anymore. Or it's like, you want to... Like you want to figure out how to like recock your bathtub, and then someone's like, "Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I know you're having this experience a lot because I know I do. Like, well, sometimes my boyfriend comes over, and you know, and he were, and they tell you like a ten minute story about like bathtubs, and you're like, no, dude." Just tell me, like, get to the cocking part. Halfway like through, right before the cocking, they're like, smash that like <laughs> yeah, button. Yeah, share, like be sure subscribe. to share. You're like, you yeah. haven't told me anything of value yet. What's funny is TV was the medium. For you to not have to do that, in my opinion. Like TV in its most iconic era where like has a built-in audience, like the hope that people just you turn it on, it's gonna be there. You don't it's a it comes to you as a or you go to it or whatever. So that was the time to not start off with the shilly intro. That was not the when there's like six channels, like iconic TV, like six channels. If you don't like one, there's only five other options. On the internet is what's funny is like that's where authenticity started happening, even though that's where you need to grab attention the fastest. Like you need to have your, hey guys, I'm gonna show you how to make a creme brulee real quick, real quick, real quick. <laughs> yeah. You're good, you're in? Yeah. Okay, cool. Don't shut it Seriously. off, don't shut off the, don't change the channel, don't change the channel. I got you, I mean, that's the subtext of it all, right? Don't change the channel, don't change the channel, don't change the channel. That's all content is really. Yeah, Please don't go exactly. to the other network. Please yeah. don't go to the other video. That's like good content is how long can they keep you there? And so to see Bourdain do that, I'm curious, I don't think a good question is like who's next, because that's stupid, but like, who else is carrying authenticity in that fun way in the food space? Because I want to watch, like people at home. I want to, I want to watch more. I just want to know what's good. I want to know like who's gonna talk to me, this dude in his thirties. And are you guys excited about those people too? Mm-hmm. Because I think is there a vacuum? Well, there is a vacuum, but. How long will this vacuum kind of post Bourdain last for people to get as excited and as attentive and kind of create a subculture of, you know, people similar to Guy and Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives? There was this whole segment of people that would just travel everywhere the show went. And I think that happened across Bourdain shows, too. So, oh, Bourdain went there. Immediate bucket list for me. He covers a restaurant. Uh, that restaurant has changed forever, right? Mm-hmm. No matter where it is in the entire world. And I'm kind of curious if you, if there are people that you guys are excited about and can somewhat carry like parts of that torch. Or not. Or not. Because I think that's also a big part of the conversation. Because as of right now, for me, there are, pe- there are people that I like, but I don't know how to fill necessarily that vacuum. Yeah, I don't entirely know either, but I think it's also, I, I think it's like pleading ignorance to a certain degree because it's like there's so many food shows now that you're like, I don't even, can't keep track of them all. Like, I think you, like one person has to be doing their thing for a while before they sort of break through. I mean, how long was, 
like I think Bourdain was already like a thing before I even started watching him. It took me a while to even. I mean, he's been doing TV for over. I mean, I don't want to over twenty years. I can safely say that's probably way more than that. I yeah, mean, author. He's a it chef. Was less. Before, like, it was less. Less than twenty Not years. To, yeah. I, How many seasons of I Hell's think it was, Kitchen? I, think he did. I mean, No Reservations. The book came out what late nineties, early two thousands. So he got his break. He was about forty three. So this is a huge like late in life pivot he was he was chefing at a restaurant in new york the restaurant wasn't it's funny yeah, everyone, steve's reading all this off his hand right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wikipedia is fucking pulled up uh but the restaurant wasn't like a huge smash and bourdain is not known in any circles as like this extraordinary chef right but he his mom was an editor at the new york times he wrote this piece about what you shouldn't eat at restaurants. Ah, I always forget that he is a legacy, and then it makes me sad. When I, I know, realize it is. It's heartbreaking. She sent it to a friend who edited at the New Yorker. They published it. He had a book deal the next week. Friend was David Remnick. Yeah, yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah. A, a show offer the next month, right? And so it's like things happened really quick for him at about forty three, forty five. And and so to answer the question, the previous question, here's what I'll say. I don't think there will ever be another Bourdain because I don't think society will demand it. I, I don't think we need another cultural interpreter who is a white straight male, right? I just don't think like that's the moment we're in right now for sure. I think uh, to speak personally, uh, I've been down that travel TV road a lot. You know, I've won some awards for my travel writing and I've, I've been in the industry a long time. At some point, you're just around the industry long enough. Someone's like, we'll throw you a TV deal. Um, and, and someone came to me and offered something recently. And what we pitched them was me taking out the whole Uproxx travel team and sending people out so that you do get diverse viewpoints. Because I think it's... I don't think what he did can be recreated. I think he nailed it, and now it's done. And that moment's done. It's very sad for me that it's done. He had done a lot personally for my career. He had he had helped me out a few times out of out of tight spots, and I just feel like that moment's done. And and my pick for next Bourdain is going to be travel by committee, where you're going to get a couple different voices sharing and interpreting. So gone is the time of a singular voice explaining food and culture to you who's the guy who uh kamalu bell is that right kamal bell kamal bell yeah, yeah. W. kamal bell he went he went with bourdain to kenya oh yeah. i missed that and he, or south africa he, he did i could see him doing something I mean, he kind of does that already with the cnn show yeah i could see there's it's a couple really other people food, yeah. i could see doing it uh and i just think like i don't think our culture needs another white male cultural interpreter right at this exact moment. I think that I think what we need is a new input of voices. And I say that as a white male who'd very much love to be on TV. Yeah. So it's, it's self-defeating to some degree. But I think I think we need like a, a different collection of voices to begin to be part of the conversation. Is it also going to be somewhat close to impossible for a singular voice of that authority to even happen with the fragmented media landscape that we have now, right? Because was did Bourdain happen because there was enough attention on TV for it to happen? And now when you consider the food shows across sites like Food Beast or BuzzFeed or First We Feast on top of the shows across Travel Channel, Food Network, Cooking Channel... So I guess it's a layered question of, is it even possible? And maybe we don't want it either, and that's the problem. So I, mean, I think, yeah, I think that's part of the, the, the fact that it's so fractured now. And also, 
just the fact that Bourdain had a very specific skill set where it was like, you know, he wrote this book about working in, you know, 70 hours a week in kitchens, but he's also like, oh, yeah, I have, I've written like three failed novels and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you were doing that while you were working 70 hours a week? <laughs> like, I can barely motivate, like, after I'm done, you know, writing my Top Chef recaps to, like, do anything on the side. <laughs> like, I don't know how he's doing that. So it's like, I think part of the reason he hit was because he had, like, a depth of knowledge and a depth of, like, references to come to certain places with that I don't think a lot of people have. Like, I don't think um, people are just that. I don't think there's that many people that are that sort of uh, culturally um, plugged in, I guess, or just, you know, that 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 have things to say about the places that they go and, you know, that that sort of thing. That's also an era, though. I mean, Steve, you're talking about his article got published in the New Yorker and that goes viral (laughs) and the next day, like in a print, right? Like a print mag that goes viral. What does that even mean? Right. I mean, like in terms of comedy, that was the old thing where it was like, Oh, if you go on Johnny Carson and he invites you on the couch, it's like, Oh, your career's made. Right. And now it's like, I got a ton of friends that have like been on Conan that are still have day day jobs. You know, it's not that it's not that anymore. Like, you know, back in the day, uh, I was reading a book by the one of the guys who was writing on Cheers, and they were talking, and you know they'd reference like ratings, and I was like, oh, we got like a 15 share or something like that. And now it's like nothing but the Super Bowl like gets that much. Like if you get a two, you're over the moon, you know? Yeah. Right. Now you got to shout into YouTube like a yeah. Right. Shout I mean, the YouTube. amount of content out there is just enormous, and the fact that like because of that, like the audience is smaller and. I was recording a podcast earlier this week, and it was such an embarrassing, weird moment, but so revealing about the media marketplace. This woman asked me, she was like, well, you know, how much could book advances be? What? A hundred, a hundred thousand, a hundred fifteen thousand. And I looked at her and, and I was like, uh, yeah, maybe if you're Sully. Yeah. I was like, my, my first novel advance was $12,500. And she started like laughing at me. And I was like, that was like. That was like that's like mid-size advance. Yeah. You know? And so it's interesting is like there's just so many voices now. I mean, so many voices that we almost have an audience, right? Yeah. Like, you know, even you guys, like when you post something that's viral, that can often be, to your Instagram, that can often be created by someone with their phone who went to get a grilled cheese. Right. And now they're, you know, two million people are seeing what they saw, but no one's giving them a TV show like like it was. No one's yeah. saying like, oh, I love that grilled cheese video. <laughs> saw it on Food Beast. Your career is made. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. The voice has to be strong at the end of the day. And that's, I don't know, There there's some people I do like. I mean, I watched uh, Eddie Wong's show on Vice. Mm. And he, for me, that was a fun, like, here's this. Here's this dude who's of the culture, streetwear, rap, hip hop, grew up in Florida, swears like I do, is in the cut, gets the references, wears the same clothes I do, yet he's going into these neighborhoods that maybe I haven't been to yet, like showing me parts of Brooklyn, he's going to Pittsburgh. I was like, this is cool. This is fun. This guy, he he's not as uh you, you could you could venture to say he's as poetic as as Bourdain like he has poetry he's a writer a good one at that and so it's his time now I don't think people are funding him enough I think they're funding they they created like the fresh off the boat TV show which like trivializes whole thing and he didn't really like the show towards the end of it but that's a dude like I'd like to see more of that 
I'd like to see more of that. I like Bronson for a little bit on on Vice. Um, so I think there could be voices, but again, those shows at the end of the day, they were travel-based food shows with one person being the voice. At the end of the day, that dude has as much as when he started doing that show, late twenties, early thirties. Like that's the bot, that's the life he had up until then. So that's the lens we had. Where Bourdain, you get someone in their 40s and 50s or some real shit. The most interesting people we probably know are our parents. And you know what I mean? Like they have like the the realest shit. So like imagine any of our parents on a being the host of a travel food show and just the wild shit they say. <laughs> we got that with Bourdain. Like we got that shit at the end of let's, the day. As a team, let's go to Netflix next week. New travel show for you. All of our parents. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's dope. It's going to be so young. Look, if Eddie, I like him. This I think he's week, hilarious. This week, your mom does Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> she did, my mom would just stay in the hotel room the whole fucking <laughs> week. <laughs> Where's the <laughs> casino? What's, uh, do you guys this is my do mom breakfast? driving down the street reading billboards. Ah, King's Buffet. <laughs> You, ever, you never notice that like women reach a certain age and they just start narrating everything that goes on around. Like, oh, look at that doggy. Like, Mom, what? Stop. We just changed food TV forever. We did it. The four of us, we broke it. This is it. This is it. Well, because the chef you're talking about, Eli, the the Eddies, uh, the Maddies, the mm-hmm. Actions, the Alvin Kylons, like, I think they're they they're taking the Bourdain authenticity and they're just running with it in their own directions, which I think is, which is really interesting to me. And they're the ones that I know of the most because I can relate to the most, but I'm curious about your guys's thoughts about you. Vince, you mentioned the Super Bowl a little bit earlier. Food has gone into a wavelength of pop culture. That's now somewhat adjacent to, music and sports and things of that nature and the only reason we're here on this podcast to talk about it is because food beast has rode this wave of people's interest in food is does food have a super bowl or does it have an Hmm. oscars does it have a pop culture is it possible for it to have that moment and i'm going to curtail that question with another question is izzy our producer for the podcast he broke news almost a year and a half ago when he was at a Las Vegas food festival and Gordon challenged Bobby Flay to like a pay-per-view mono-e-mono match, death match, right? And that was the most interesting live TV food premise that I had ever heard of more than the live TV that happens now, like Good Morning America we're going to have this chef showcase how to grill sausages for the summer. Like, fucking boring as shit. I'll never watch that. But, like, Gordon versus Bobby, pay-per-view, 30 bucks on some sort of network. Like, yeah, I'd bro. fucking pay for that in a harpy. Is there is there any types of, like, food media? And this is, like, a roundtable live TV that makes sense that food could enter pop culture in a, in a specific way. Can Bobby and Gordon fight first <laughs> like okay two-part right sixty dollar pay-per-view on twitch on twitch.tv backslash foodbees shout out to twitch <laughs> foodbees is on twitch next year and it's gonna be lit food is coming to the platform so uh about with let's say march 15th let's just throw it out there uh gordon ramsay bobby flay shirtless of course okay they're in a kitchen but also they're gonna fight 
So they cook the meal first because, like, I don't want that shit bloody in my whatever risotto they're going to make. And Bobby Flay is going to grill something. <laughs> and there's two rounds. So if they you can win the cooking round and then you fight. Mm. Bro, you fight. There's cards. I love it. And I, think I would to, tune in. And, I, and I, I would tune in. But I think to bucks. Eli's point, that's a... That's very kitsch, right? And but people would fucking watch. Of course, of course they would watch that. Is there a moment that can happen in food that again can't again it might take time, but can be as big as ratings as Super Bowl as Oscars? And does it have to be taking the two biggest chef names in food, or can't or is it still rising to the point where we? People might still pay attention to food at e- even larger levels, in your opinion. I mean, I feel like every tro- show's try- been trying to do that for like I don't know, 10, 15 years. Like they're all, they're all trying to do that, and they're all. I don't think one's shaken out because I don't know if you can because they've all been trying for so long. You know, there's like Iron Chef, and then there's like every single popular food show almost is like a competition in some way. Right. Um, what's that French thing that they do every year? The Bocuse bo- d'Or. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's that. I, one of the things I don't like, actually, is how everyone criticizes the Beard Awards, right? Mm. Again, for me, like, I do like upmarket food. And and once or twice a year, I'll spend, like, this is where everyone's like, click, fuck this Steve guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not relatable. But once no, or I twice too. every year, just, I'll just, drop yeah. $350 oh, on sure. a meal and, like, have some some foam. I will fuck with some foam yeah. once or twice a year. And, and because of that, I'm interested in it, right? And I think... I think it's fine for Beard to be that, but I don't think that it, that's not accessible enough to be the Super Bowl, right? So if you're talking about where's the Super Bowl going to be, it's not going to be at the highest levels. It's not going to be the Beard Award. It's not going to be 50 best restaurants. It's going to be something else, right? And and I, to go back to the point I keep drumming on, I think that it's going to incorporate different food ways, right? So it's going to be like, all right. You know, maybe it'll be a show where you spend time with some Native American chefs and then you try to cook your riff on that food way. And then you spend time with some Southeast Asian chefs and you you spend, you try and cook tr- genuine Thai food that's filtered through your own personal experience or whatever. It's going to be something like that that is trying to bring in new voices and inputs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I only watch that stuff to see new ways of doing things. That's why, you know, stuff that's like, oh, it's the hundred best burgers in America. Like I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't care less about that. <laughs> like I've eaten a hundred, I mean, I've eaten a bunch of burgers. I'm never like, I'm never having to like rank them in my head. It's just not, it's just such a narrow thing that at that point it's like, I don't care. But you know, if you show me something new, I'm much more interested. We need like, like a teen choice awards of food. <laughs> yeah. Where somebody like the Oscars forth. is the beard, you right? Young, but then like, you need young chefs to be, a, yeah, it's exactly that, right? And it just needs to be more fun. Like I know Eater has like young gun awards. Let's Do you think the teen the choice time. awards are fun? <laughs> we literally just looked at, Steve and I just looked at each other like, this does need to happen. And we just made eye contact. <laughs> Before business dudes in a room. Um, MTV Foodie Awards. I mean, wouldn't you guys like to see like Action Bronson and Eddie Wong duke it out? Like fight first. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to this. I mean, Logan Paul and fuck KSI was like the biggest YouTube event of the year. Now, they both suck. Imagine you have Gordon and newcomer Eddie Wong to the table. They're both working out. Eddie's slim now, I'm putting bro. out the challenge. I'll fight any of those guys. <laughs> any day of the week, you line them up in front of me. Just tell me where to be. Fight them and cook against them. Yeah, well, they'll beat me at cooking, but... 
All joking aside, violence is awful. Um, <laughs> but well, I still you, stand as long by as you hug me. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing, actually. I think so. When you see a, a handshake and mutual respect between two fighters after a fight, like you remember, this is sport. It's beautiful, and that can happen between Gordon and Bobby. I think <laughs> their families. You might be keying into something That's- that actually does really resonate in this cultural moment which i would say is like that authenticity thing you know vince one of the reasons why his writing i think resonates so much and i've really you know i came and i want to rip on gordon ramsay but go ahead i came to uprox through vince's writing so i actually was was reading his writing every day he was writing for uprox and i eventually sent them an email that was like listen i spent so much time on your guys site you should probably pay me to do it (laughs) and they were like all right fine um, but because of that, you know, I think one of the things that he does really well with these recaps or whether we're talking about food, Zach Johnston, this other food writer for us does really well is keeps that authenticity. Right. And what you're talking about, essentially like this, like, let's get raw is this authenticity thing is like, let's not edge around things and let's like cut straight for the jugular. And I think that's what Bourdain did. I think that's what Vince does. I think that's what what you guys are constantly doing. And I think that's the unifying conversation piece, right? Is like, how do we stay authentic in a world that's feeling more and more plastic by the second? Remember when Gordon Ramsay had a show and they would always like have a shot of him changing into his chef's coat, like with his shirt (laughs) off? Like they'd always have like a weird shirtless shot of Gordon Ramsay. And I always think that's funny because like... In the UK, you can be the ugliest dude ever and still be a sex symbol. Like he just had like that Sharpay face. Like he had like a Sharpay face with like a nice haircut. And people are like, oh, he's got a nice body. He does. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. Oh, you see his trapezius, yeah. right? And so like <laughs> every big show. when he yells, it like gets like sort of like swollen. however formulaic like American food TV show is, TV shows are. You watch like a BBC one, and you're like, oh god, this is just like a yeah. cookie cookie cutter meat grinder situation. Oh, that was great. Those old Gordon Ramsay shows. Sorry, I had to be. I had to get that out. American TV will never be that dope. American TV is I too wish. PC for that shit. If you're like, oh look at the yeah. look at the veins in his neck. Sorry. Me too. Yeah. You're out. And it will never look like it's filmed in a closet the way British television does, where you're just like, what did you shoot that on? Was there no one that had lights there? Like, what happened? Every single person looks like they were just in like a seven round boxing match. They're like, yeah. no, that guy's TV ready for sure. Oh, he's good. He's, yeah, like, oh, he's good. Let's get him. His face looks like it was like made out of clay, right? But the, the sculptor was kind of a little bit drunk at that moment. It had a couple pints, right? In there. So like, let's get him and get him right up in front of the camera. Created Show every poor. See, I do an accent. Steve just going. What's that? <laughs> do, you, do you guys, how do you guys feel about recipe videos? And the reason why I, I want to ask that question is because do they count as show? Like they count as a show. And, and, and this is like, I can't wait to hear your answer, Vince. And I, the, because... There's this really weird blending that's going on that Food Beast is an active participant in, which is, are you on Facebook Watch? Are you using that to say, like, you have shows, viral things happen on Facebook Watch that are still, it's like technically a show, but it's also still like a puppy rolling around that I guess is a show because it's on their show platform, but then it isn't. And then the state of OTT over the top television is also in a really weird place where like 
Food Beast is developing a Roku channel. And, like, that's our next step, and we're really stoked about it. But then, at the end of the day, it's a Roku channel that some people have. And that's, like, our next step to go towards television. And so, I'm, I'm curious, as more and more of the internet content hits TV, should it not be there at all? Asking for a friend and not for the Food Beast strategy <laughs> of over-the-top television. I mean, I still I watch recipe videos, but it's never I, I don't have like people I follow on recipe videos. It's more just like I need to do this thing and I want to see someone I want to see someone do it, you know, when I'm like trying to recreate something or if I'm trying to make. So you're searching thing. based on keywords, not on people. Exactly. Like You don't yeah. care who cooks the Wellington. You just want to see a Wellington. Right. Cook. That being said, like if but there is someone that I do know. Right. I mean, it's like you said, like anything that's you're always trying to cut through the noise and who knows what's doing that now. It's like sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I don't know. I don't think that there's, I don't know that there's specific people that I can think of off the top of my head. The only I'm sure one I they're can there. really think of is Babish, right? Binging with yeah. Babish. And that was just a really good idea that had found its time. And I can never talk about it around Vince. I don't know who that is. Cause he, well, you will in a second. <laughs> Cause two years before Babish came out, he was like, listen, we're going to do a cooking competition show, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to cook, we're going to compete over things they did in movies. And I was like, that's a great idea. Let's do this shit. And then Babish came out, and we were like, oh, oh, he did it. You know, and so he's a guy who recreates shows from recreates dishes from TV and movies. But again, I don't think anything's like idea based. No. Like, I don't think. That's gonna, you know, like that. Some one one concept's gonna play because the concept's so genius. It's gonna be like about whether you like that person, you know, like whether the voice works and whether you know it's laid out in a way that you find interesting. And I don't, you know. Well, look, not to upsell the writer who I brought in here to talk today. You've already done that like a uh, lot, but I like to upsell, <laughs> which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. But. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop promoting your career. Always, <laughs> my always, bad. Always be plugging. To the Uproxx bosses listening, <laughs> I won't do this anymore. <laughs> but no, like Vince is a great example in the sense that Grub Steery does their Top Chef recaps and Eater does Top Chef recaps and ours do really well and the chefs tweet them and share them. And there's a reason why and it's not everyone does the recaps, right? It's There's a level of personality into it. And I think if we talk about what's going to cut through the noise now – Every list has been done, right? I grew up in the golden era of internet writing when I could send a list to a, an editor and just say, here's what I'm going to do. Top seven pizza joints in Cleveland. Yes. And they just immediately email me back. Yep, of course. Okay, top seven pizza joints in Detroit. Yes, please. You know, send it. Here's the money. And it was good money at the time. But now it's like, how do I cut through that? I'm not going to beat... You know, these big sites, the Uproxes, the Thrillists of the world in SEO, you know, the Food Beast on, on food issues. I'm not going to beat those places on SEO. So I need to have a personality. I need to have a voice. I need to have a reason. And if I look at you guys, that's the thing you did best, right? You have a personality and people know it and they go, yeah, like that's what I like to do. I like to be like a hype beast about food. Mm -hmm. That's cool for me. And that's that is super cool. And so I think it's going to be about really who you are now and that's where the opportunities are and that's a good thing. And again, I mean, that was that all started because I was like, I've always been a person who I think like TV recaps are stupid and, and bad. And I was like, <laughs> how can I do one that doesn't suck? And I tried to like, you know, put a different, 
like our, I did it as like power rankings like they do for football teams every week because it's, you know, it's a weird combination. I don't know. And that's sort of the same thing with Bourdain. I'm sure he looked around uh, watch, watching like food TV channels and was like, man, most of these are shitty and bad. How can I make one that's not shitty and bad? Like I, yeah. I, I think I like the idea of looking around and not being like, how can I not how can I copy something that's popular, but like seeing stuff and you're like that has there's something there, but people aren't doing it right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you see something that's that is a thing to be improved upon and corrected. Plus, Vince's little nicknames for all the chefs really kind of wins the day. <laughs> That's, I've never seen people so hyped on the number of emails I get every week that are like, I don't watch Top Chef. <laughs> But I really like those nicknames. <laughs> it's out of control. Like that's the most I've ever heard people going like, yeah, no, I'm not into the show itself. I like hearing your random nicknames for people and reading you burn on them. That was my favorite part of the article because it's also the most memorable. It's how you can do that. Can you do that with some chefs that people actually watch? I can try. I'm not. I don't do those off the cuff. That's like you know, a product of hours of study. But like, I'm not a great like improviser, but we'll see what I can do. Okay. Uh, Gordon Ramsay. Ooh. I mean, I already called him a Sharpay. That'd be like a good one. <laughs> like something, like it would definitely be something where he's just got like a, he kind of reminds me of like a beat up face boxer of some kind. Like, I don't know, like if you could think of, uh, yeah, I don't know, Dempsey or something. It, you know, you got it, it. It's like, I think of a concept and then I try to fit uh, the nickname around that. There was one last year, there's a chef who was like, constantly like just trying to please everyone and he called him peter pander and i i've never laughed so hard as editing something yeah. as when i noticed that well, there's only so many arenas where bad puns are still acceptable yeah. you know yes they are acceptable <laughs> and jeff is the king of in all forums <laughs> that's yeah. a personal opinion that i get hated on in this office every day but and the some of the best nicknames are based on like the thinnest evidence like uh actually one of my friends uh that passed away the uh, a couple years ago we were at his funeral and he was like we we're talking about how we would give everyone like stupid nicknames and he was like yeah i showed up to like one family barbecue like eating sun chips and then he called me sun chips for like the next 20 years <laughs> of my life <laughs> and it's like i don't so know so good the yeah the thinnest evidence or the thinnest justification for a nickname the better sometimes i, feel I love like. it because the, the recap i read was like episode one of the most recent season mm -hmm. so not everyone had like there's a ton of contestants so yeah. they didn't have that screen time the funniest ones were the ones where you tell like they were on screen for like two seconds <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you said yeah. it'd be like dumb blonde one like, <laughs> shit like yeah. that. it was more smart than that you have to try really hard not to make it like based completely around like you know oh white girl or like asian chick like, you have to try and make them not race based which is really hard if you've only seen the person for like two seconds <laughs> <laughs> you can, like think of some other impression that they gave you you know there was one this week that was like a drunk mom vince was like what what was fun mom name? yeah yeah <laughs> aka fun mom <laughs> And she posted it on her Instagram, and she was like, I'll always be fun, Mom. Like, you could Oh, no, see. her cousin commented, and she's like, actually, she's not a mother. And I'm like, well, first of all, you don't have to be an actual mother to be nicknamed Fun Mom. But, yeah. It's more okay. about it, the spirit of it. David Chang. Oh, that's a tough one. God, I don't know. Like, what, what is it? You watch any of his stuff? I do, yeah, but he doesn't, like, he's not... He doesn't have like an obvious visual. He can be uh, abrasive. Maybe it's Momo fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, I like Momo that. Because I met a lot of people who were like, "Have you seen his show?" 
he comes off harsh a lot. Yeah, the Ice Man. Yeah, that guy's he's you know he's a good chef. He's a, like the the one of the pinnacles, right? But those chefs also like there's a celebrity aspect there too, in the sense that they're used to being listened to. So they walk into a public space. Maybe that's what Bourdain was lacking, right? He wasn't the the best chef in America. He walks into a space. He's like, "Tell me more." Like, I love food. Yeah, and, you know, where and like we, David Chang, he knows everything. He and knows if how Bourdain would have just it. come out, it would be like I don't know, Scarecrow or like Snaggle too. Like he had really bad teeth. <laughs> he was like really like skinny. <laughs> That's funny about David Chang because you know he knows too much when he's trying to convince you in an episode all the dope shit about Domino's pizza. Like, <laughs> really, like that's how bored you are and how smart <laughs> yeah. you are as a chef that you're going to dedicate a portion of your Netflix show to Domino's pizza. All right. If Oh, Go well, keep going. No, keep I want, going. Now, this is fun. This is fun. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Uh, Eddie Wong. <sighs> uh, ooh. <laughs> oh man i also think that these are weird be, well it's <laughs> I you're would, also asking like hey give me a nickname on the fly to, no <laughs> one on the fly but two to a white guy about minority chefs like that's also like kind of <laughs> yeah. tough like oh well we're recording this podcast i can't just like say anything, like, off the, off the dome a, this it's is not, a secret it's, this is a secret like food beast uprocks war. <laughs> He's trying to sink us. Well, He's like, yeah, tell part, me. I think this is part of the thing shot. is part of the thing is is that most of the nicknames grow out of like an insult that you want to say, and then you have sure. to like make it like not insulting. Not you know what I mean? Yeah, like not mean. Like you want to make it like kind of fun and charming. Whereas it's like, oh, stupid guy. But like you can't just like nickname him. You know, I guess that's like I mean, Spanish nickname. Maybe it's it's like, oh, Bordo. You're like, okay, that's true. I got a question for you guys. If you guys were making an Uprox travel food show or food show or whatever you wanted to do, and all the deals, the economics of the deals were the same. So whatever the money is, it's the same. Production value is the same. And you had the opportunity to hit Netflix, Facebook Watch, or network television. Where would you guys want to go? And also, where would you watch personally? Like you, the Steve and Vince, when you're at home vegging out, where would you want that show to be? Because I'm just curious, for us, again, we're in this weird landscape where we have these short format five to eight minute shows that we think could be longer and could put a production budget behind, but we also don't necessarily, like, should we put, should we be pitching Netflix constantly? Because is that the next it token for a show to succeed i'm curious about can what i you tell guys you a think. fun netflix story yeah so i think we all can agree that netflix has too much money right now i'm assuming they've borrowed a lot of it because i don't know where it's like all coming i mean i know where part of it's coming from but uh so like you go to their headquarters sometimes well first of all like when i'm trying to see a netflix movie uh like i have to hassle them to try and like show me the movie so i can put it on my year end list like they buy more movies than they can actually promote so they buy more things than they can promote um so then like i gotta chase them down and be like hey like i want to see this movie and then they'll, they'll get back a day later and be like all right well we have these screenings and they'll be at uh netflix hq so last time i went there i showed up to netflix headquarters at like uh you know 10 minutes 15 minutes before the screening was supposed to start i stand outside 
the uh, in in this in the security line like there's a security that's another thing is like when you have when your company that has a lot of money you just hire a bunch of people and so you have like a hundred superfluous employees and no one really knows what the fuck's going on everybody's kind of looking at each other like do you know what to do no I don't know what to do and so I'm standing out all front of just supposed to guide them inside yeah. like that's all of us? so I'm standing out front of in the in front of the security guard out front and of course they guard it like it's Fort Knox because it's all very important and like that person's calling inside to try and figure out what who, who I'm supposed to be there to see and like whether I'm supposed to be there. So that takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, I finally get let in. I look, I'm like, hey, uh, I'm here to see Roma. And then the girl grabs me. I look at my watch. It's 11.01. The screening is supposed to start at, at 11. Uh, she's like, oh, it's already started, which is insane if you've ever been to like any sort of press screening because they never start on time ever. This one is like, Oh, this is started on time. She opens the door. Not only is it like, it's like through the previews, like through the credits, like we're already into like plot of the movie at that point. And I sit down, I'm waiting for my eyes to adjust. And I realize there's one other person in the room. It's me and one other dude. Like they couldn't halt, they couldn't halt the screening uh, like two minutes for like the only other person that was going to be there. And of course I sit down and the movie starts and maybe 10 minutes in, the other dude falls asleep and like, sleeps through half of it so that's my netflix story but that's a, that's just a little anecdote that illustrates uh, what happens when your company is like on that crest of uh money free still, money to borrow i still want to hear the response to jeff's question i think that's netflix a, has a money they have a money problem i think the way yeah. that movie pass was too good to be true and fucking exploded i think there's a time there's gonna be a reckoning for netflix there's too much good shit on it there's too many shows being produced not enough people to watch it not enough time to go around and eventually there's going to be a reckoning with like youtube there's going to be a reckoning where you can't keep spending millions of dollars for superfluous ideas right where like when youtube can get millions of people to submit content for free and get paid later Mm -hmm. there's like a fundamental like some shit's gonna happen yeah. I still want to hear your answer. Yeah, but. I mean, I think it depends on what, what you want out of it. Like, if you want to make a lot of money now, you go with whoever's got money. Uh, it's like, do you want to make a lot of money now, or do you want to ha- give it a better shot uh, of it maybe taking off and, like, becoming a, a phenomenon as opposed to just a thing that makes you money? I mean, in terms of, like, net network shows, I don't think I watch anything that's on network other than sports. But at the same time... That's probably where all the money is and probably where the most people are going to watch regardless. Uh, is it going to be – are you going to be able to do what you want? Probably not. It's probably going to be super dumbed down. Mm-hmm. Whereas Netflix, you probably do whatever the hell you want. You probably get a decent amount of money for it. The question is, is like, oh, is anybody going to see it or are they just going to like dump it somewhere? Are you right. going to get a second season? I So for me, I'll, I'll give away all my – all my secrets. I'm, I'm a loudmouth. Um, I think that Netflix is how people arrive very naturally at travel TV. Yeah. So if I was, it, because it's that idea of like, oh, I watched five minutes of this. It tickled something in me. I'm, I'm quasi interested. I went back and watched Game of Thrones. That was more urgent, right? But then I had a free weekend or I was at the gym or whatever. And I turned that that travel show that I felt like I could trust on. So the rhythm of how people watch Netflix and how people watch travel TV feels similar to me. So Plus, you, and if, it's like, it makes sense in terms of like the affiliate 
Like you're not gonna you're not gonna sit through This Is Us and be like, oh good, a travel show's on. Whereas like Netflix, like your travel shows are probably gonna be packaged into the right. same area, and you might get you know people that are watching a different travel show. That you'd get a more savvy audience, and it's easier to sort of cross pollinate shows. I would think. Food, I think, I think the thing that'll happen with food that's never happened before, right? Like Vince's recaps, and this is what's so funny about the idea that the chefs get obsessed with them. They the show's over. Even the finale. Is the finale over? No, the finale's not filmed. Oh, uh, I don't know. The finale might not be filmed, but everything else, the show is over. So these people are like commenting and sharing. They know the outcome. They know the end game. And what I think will happen with food TV, we have never seen a cumulative competition show where it's filmed week by week. If The Good Place can film week by week or only three weeks out and therefore respond to current events, then a food show could definitely do it, right? So how interesting would it be like this week, right? The biggest food controversy that I know of right now is Andrew Zimmern. Shout out, I love you, but you made a faux pas, right? Saying saying something about his Chinese restaurants and how they were going to change the Chinese game in the Midwest, right? So what if we had a cumulative food cooking contest show where chefs went to actual Chinese chefs as a response to this. And they tried to learn. And then they remixed it and they did their own thing. And it was somehow a response to current events. I think that our society, which is constantly like in the moment focused. Or just like each new person that loses their job uh, because of a Me Too moment. They go and they have to cook <laughs> against each other <laughs> to see like like Mario Batali versus John Besh. Like one of you guys gets to keep your empire, and the other one's got to go. Like like quick those fire challenge. Those two are the, the, quick those fire two are the worst. Challenge. So that neither of them gets to keep the empire. One of you doesn't have to divest fully from your in-store goods, yeah. right? Oh shit. Okay, so did we pick? Money is not an object. Money's going to be the same. Network, Facebook, or uh, you said Netflix, Jeff. Yeah, one of the three. Ooh, I guess I. Oh, I guess I go Netflix on that. I go Netflix. Netflix. Sp- certainly for travel. Yeah. Certainly for travel, I'd go Netflix. I just can't think of any a comparable like network travel or food shows. And Netflix handled Dark Tourist really well. I thought they. I thought yeah, they handled like that, that show well. They promoted it well. I think the biggest question mark about I would pick Netflix too. I think the biggest question mark. About Netflix, though, is because whatever their billion dollar in production is, is that even if you have a really good show, you won't necessarily get main page promo. You won't get PR promo. Mm-hmm. You'll someone will have a screening with two people in it because and and that's crazy to me because I saw the trailer for Roma and was like, oh my yeah, it's God. a legit oh, Academy Awards yeah, movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh my God! It's like, the best thing if, that they've done. If probably. Yeah, if that does the sc- a screening, probably not all, the, but a I screening mean, for that. To be type. fair, part of the reason that is is because they had so many screenings, whereas like a lot of times you don't have that many options. But sure. that so that part was nice. But, but in yeah. a weird way, like Netflix doesn't need media. Like it doesn't need us the way that other things did. So like yeah. because they have this machine where if they wanted people to watch that movie, they would just front page it. And the yeah. difference is they've paid out all these people. So, like, if you're a creator, if Uproxx has a travel show and, like, they don't do any promo on it, you still got you still got a bag for it. You still got paid up. 
it sucks as a creator and someone who invested time for it not to be seen, but you still have to put forth the same amount of effort as you would a Facebook watch show, as you would a Netflix show, if you're assuming the network's not going to promo you. They're still hoping that Uprox has to put in that deal, that Vince has to tweet about it, Steve has to tweet about it. You're still getting your money on each one. And Netflix is playing that slow burn, right? Like I just had a book come out in paperback. And the, the paperback did, all of a sudden I saw a sales bump, right? It's $5 cheaper than the hardback. The sort of books I Venture write. gang, baby. The sort, sort of books I write, no one's like, yo, we need that hardback. <laughs> How do we get the first edition, son? So kids can beat each other with it. <laughs> and so, like with that said, you know, I think, I think what Netflix is doing is saying, like, we are creating a library for the long haul. And I, I think they will promote Roma. And I think they'll do it once people start buzzing and they know exactly, right? When are people talking about it on Twitter? When are people buzzing? Now we're going to turn up the dials a little bit. And I think because of that, you just keep having a shot there. Because all you want is for someone to find your brilliance and start tweeting about it and sharing it. Well, we didn't see a big splash, for example, for Stranger Things. There wasn't like this buildup with trailers and all that mm-hmm. shit. I heard about it from a friend. It's like, you seen the new strain? You seen this show? It's about this, that, 90s. You're going to like it, blah, blah, blah. It's scary. It's not. And I look on it. It's like, looks like it's been there. There's no like special front page mention. Mm-hmm. I had to like dig and I hit Stranger Things. Big, decently budgeted first show for these guys. And like... That slow build that you're talking about, like they took that Netflix could do that because they don't have to answer to anyone about how many people saw it in the first week the way that AMC has to answer to it with like every time they invest into Walking Dead or, you know, whatever, the new Sons of Anarchy. Like we all know how those shows do because we have access to that data. But they don't have to do that shit on Netflix. So if your show gets seen by one person or a million people, I bet you Netflix has invested in second seasons of shows that were seen by three people on fucking strength alone. Just like, you know what? We can't do this. We just have to show that we pick right shows. No one fucking knows. And it's nice (laughs) if they have like a sunk cost in it versus like... You know, if they pay pay a certain amount for a show, and then they just have to promote it to justify their own decision to mm-hmm. to do it. Whereas, like, you know, if you're all if it's all ad, if it's all like you're try, you're worried about ratings and you're trying to get ad dollars, like that's going to be much more like, are you still watching? Are you still yeah. watching? And I'm sure it's the same when you're like trying to pick like a book agent, right? It's like you're trying to do the calculus of uh, like. How, how how big of a platform is the thing is does the person have versus how much are they excited about what I'm gonna do? Because it's like if you get the big platform, but they don't give a shit about the thing that you're trying to do, they're just gonna dump it. Versus you know you want like someone you know ideally they got a big platform and they're super excited about whatever you're doing, but yeah. you're trying to find like a balance in between there where like the person's like pretty excited and they got like a and they got like a big platform where lots of people are gonna see it. Because Netflix is not playing with money the way other people are playing with money. We for don't that actually very know reason. how the hell they make. Yeah, like, I mean, well, we don't. We know there's, there's subscriptions, right? Yeah. But like people often wonder why. Okay, if you 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 spend fifty million dollars for this new show and episode one tanks, and sometimes those shows will get canceled. They've shot everything. They've spent that fifty million. Like. Why don't they just air the rest? Because if no one is watching them, they can't make money on the advertisements in those slots. You might as well run Save by the Bell for the rest of them. Like that never really materialized for me until I saw what Netflix is doing. Because they spent it and they just categorize it, put in the discography. If someone decides to watch in the future, we'll make our money in the future. Like that, I don't know how long they can do that. 
I think the billion dollar number you spent, didn't they spend like $8 billion in production? $8 billion yeah. in one yeah. year on movies. I mean, really, TV. we should be humiliated that we don't all have shows. <laughs> yeah, we should. Really, we, none of us life. have shows on yeah. Netflix right now for how many shows they make and how much they spend. Well, We're successful people. We have cool ideas. I mean, it's kind of driven by whatever the person making the decisions is because it's like, I, I, I'm sure we're all trying to work out what the relationship between spending on a show and like subscription, because if all your money's coming from like how many subscribers you have, like, well, how much does green lighting that new show affect that subscriber number, you know? Mm. And so, like, I'm sure, like, I don't think they've figured out a one-to-one relationship between those two if we haven't. And then also it's kind of like a perception thing because the, the company's more valuable the more someone on Wall Street, like, thinks it's valuable. So, mm. like, there's probably some sort of, you know... It's like when Coke advertises. Do they need to advertise? Not really, but it sort of just supports the perception that they're a huge deal. Right, and they're doing these perpetuity deals, right? Like one of the most popular shows on in all of culture right now, truly most popular shows, is The Office, which has been <laughs> off, the, off the air for how long? But if Netflix hits one of those and it's pulling subscribers in like you're talking about the idea that they would have financial troubles right here's a quick pretty quick solve to their financial troubles all right we're not going to create anything for the next 5 years watch the old shit we'll put our our subscription fee down to $3 you still got plenty to work through you don't think we're all going to pay $3 a month to work through their old shit that we never saw i will yeah. i worked through a lot of their old shit i have yeah. such anxiety from Netflix's new content that I fall asleep to the office every fucking night. Oh yeah. I spend 15 minutes. Yeah. You spend 15 minutes flipping through. If I'm not asleep by then I watch the office. Mm. I was like, verified so at some point they're, they're having they're having to make the decision is like all right what's going to keep our subscribers better like the this this amount of money that we spend on a new show or uh spending our money to keep repeats of the office well shit maybe we pick this up on on your podcast <laughs> face, yeah i'm looking i think i think we're way over time but i appreciate uh you guys both coming on this is I love this conversation. Uh, where can we find more of your column, Vince? And where can we find you guys on social? I'm on Uproxx. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Vince Mancini, M-A-N-C-I-N-I. Uh, and my podcast is called The Frotcast. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Jump over there, guys, because we're. I think we're. Were we still invited? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's we canceled it halfway up, through. Yeah. Like, I, Listen, I knew I got a buzz on my phone. I texted him. I was like, I don't like this Netflix stuff. <laughs> I don't know how that's gonna play back at the home office. We're gonna ruin a production deal. Um, yeah, I'm the editor at Uprox Life, and so you can find us uprox.com-life or back backslash whatever that is. Um, Please do, please do follow the Uprox Travel Instagram. Find our travel team there, mm-hmm. out in the world exploring things. At Uprox Travel, mm-hmm. there we you go. I'll be cocking my bathtub on YouTube later, so if you want to <laughs> smash that, smash that like. Hey guys, what's up? This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> this is good. Bye guys. Leave a review. <laughs>